Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to episode 88 of the Cloudcast. We're back and coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And, you know, we haven't talked about networking in a long, long time uh, for, for no good reason, but, um, you know, the networking world, software-defined networking, whatever the heck that means, um, seems to be sort of blowing up these days. And so we decided we're going to get uh, an expert on this. We're going to get our good friend Ivan Pepelnik back. Ivan, welcome back to the show, man. Well, thanks for inviting me. I'm glad to be there. It's, uh, it's been a while. Um, so, you know, before we jump into any networking stuff, you're, you're always really, really busy. Uh, lots of stuff going on. What are you doing these days? Oh, it's all overlay virtual networks. It looks like wherever I go, I talk about them. Okay. It's crazy. And you're still, uh, so you're still writing for iOS Hints, the blog. Yeah. Uh, you're still I'm doing... still blogging. I'm still doing webinars. Uh, I'm occasionally used by my company. <laughs> <laughs> so for anybody who, who's never uh, seen Ivan's webinars, um, you do them on like a subscription basis, right? Or some of them are per like one-off and then sometimes they're subscriptions? Uh, well, you know, it all started as one-offs, and it all started as live sessions. And then someone said, well, could I just buy a recording? And I said, well, that's a good idea. Let's do that. And then someone said, well, how could I get access to all of them? And that's how subscription was born. So now you have all three options. Okay, cool. So, yeah, so if you're into networking, um, definitely go take a look. We'll put all the, the links to, to, uh, the, to the addresses in the show notes. Um, you also do some stuff occasionally, uh, not as much anymore, but occasionally you're still uh, with Greg and Ethan and those guys on Packet Pushers as well. Yeah, occasionally they invite me. Yeah, so they're they're cranking along. So, um, you know, we, we've we always been very much in awe of what the guys at Packet Pushers have done. They're, they're really good about kind of what's what's real, um, very networking-centric. They don't get off on a whole lot of topics. Um, the, you know, it's a huge mix of what's going on in, in technology. The vendors come on. They have customers come on. So those guys are great. So if you're not listening to Packet Pushers, and again, if you're into networking, go listen to those guys. Yeah, you um, definitely should. So so let's talk a little bit about what's, what's going on in, in networking. Um, you know, for last time we had you on, it had been a really long time uh, that, you know, we sort of said, you know, networking hadn't changed tons, which is kind of not totally true. I mean, it's always evolving. But you know, it feels like the last six, eight months, uh, it's gotten, I don't, know, I don't know if it's been so much change or if it's driven by, you know, kind of marketing and positioning, but man, it feels like there's just a lot, a lot of confusion between SDN and now, uh, you know, network overlays, network virtualization, network functions virtualized. Like what's, what's, what's really going on these days? Oh, not much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like teenager sex. Everybody talks about it, but nobody's really doing it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so there are some things going on in the SDN space, and we've been talking about that, I think, in the other podcast. Uh, 90% of SDN you see out there is SDN washing. Okay. So people take whatever they have and they maybe add an API to a device or they add an API to the network management system and they call that SDN because, wow, now you can program that thing. Yep. 
And of course, you could do that before, but it wouldn't be a REST API. So you would have to learn some more arcane protocols like maybe SSH or Telnet. And now it's so much simpler because now it's in JSON formatted and over HTTPS. So big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but it was it was interesting for for a while. All the SDN conversation was was, was sort of open flow. Um, that was you know it was it was this we're going to separate the control plane from the data plane and we're going to use open flow as the controlling protocol. And then, and then it felt like sort of two things happened. Um, it, you know, at least from from my viewpoint, sort of two things happened. One, Cisco obviously came along and sort of said, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Number one, we can't just have one protocol because Cisco's never had just one protocol. And then the other thing that was kind of weird, and, and maybe I got this wrong, the NYSERA guys kind of came along and said, um, we got all that OpenFlow stuff wrong. Now we're doing it differently. Like, what what happened in there? I mean, what, what, I guess more importantly, like, what did the what did the what did the Nicira guys really say? It it feels like, uh, yeah. I mean, what what went on there? Well, let's say that a few people got a dose of reality. Okay. Now, uh, the, the the things that I've always been talking about, uh, you know, if you want to program actual hardware, that's hard. Yes. And actual hardware is or is streamlined and it has pipelines that do specific things very fast. And if you want to misuse that hardware in a totally different way and program it through OpenFlow using, let's say, totally different mental picture of what, what the hardware could be doing, then, of course, you will not get far. And the NYSERA guys realized that and they said, well, forget hardware. We'll focus on the edge, and our edge is the hypervisors where we can do everything in software, so we can do everything we wish in that software. And we'll just use the hardware in the middle as a transport mechanism. Okay. So in essence, uh, you you could almost make the analogy, and and this might be really bad, but, you know, if you think about a, like just a traditional computer, you've got I.O., which... Um, you know, sits at the edge, deals with whether it's Ethernet or it was dealing with, you know, printers and parallel ports. There's a bunch of guts in the middle that was a bunch of silicon linking CPUs and memory, but nobody really did anything with that stuff. And then you had an output like a, like a, uh, a monitor. In, in essence, VMware wants to live completely at the edge and makes the middle look like just one giant, I don't want to say one giant flat network, but I think what they're saying is like, you could you can leave the the core network the, the hardware that's in the middle alone you can make it faster if you want but we really don't care about it as long as it passes ip packets we really don't care exactly about it. okay so the analogy i like to use is skype okay as you know uh like 20 years ago we would be talking on a regular phone and there would be a circuit going end to end from your phone to my phone and there would be like probably 30 different uh, voice exchanges involved in that call and every voice exchange would keep state of our voice circuit and of course that was slow and expensive right and today we're using skype so all we need is internet between us Mm -hmm. and we don't really care and no one in the middle cares about our voice call right Right. So, uh, you see, we did this, that for voice, first with voice over IP and then with Skype. And we did that with storage a long time ago, first with well, first with NFS, then with SIFS, then with iSCSI, then with NFS version 3 or whatever they have now. And now it's time to do the same thing for networking. Okay. 
So in essence, I mean, can, and and in, in essence, what they're doing now is is sort of an overlay, and and people, you know, sometimes talk about it as if it's brand new. I mean, we've done overlay networks, whether they were GRE tunnels or MPLS exactly. or IPsec for for a long. I mean, is there anything? And, and, and they all had their pros and cons, right? I mean, they, the, the pros of it were you could sort of manipulate the network to go wherever you wanted to. You could kind of pseudo avoid hops and things. But it also had the challenge of, you know, uh, you know encapsulation sizes. You lose visibility to certain things. I mean, is, are the same sort of pros and cons still here? Of course. Okay. There's nothing new under the sun. Okay. Uh, and you, you more or less mentioned them all. The only difference today is that most of these things happen auto- automatically. Mm-hmm. So when you need GRE tunnels between hypervisors, they just happen. You don't have to provision them. In the good old days, we had to provision GRE tunnels on the routers, for example. Okay. And the other thing is that this particular application has very limited scope. So it's not like we would be running GRE tunnels all over the planet. We are running them, let's say, within one availability zone in a data center. So we know how the underlying infrastructure should look like. So it's not like we would try to reroute the tunnels around or do whatever fancy with them. Yeah. Okay. Now, you know, gosh, it's been it's been more than a year. It's probably been almost two years, eh, give or take. There was there was a lot of buzz about. VXLAN and, and NVGRE, sort of the, the first set of, of, you know, how do we get around the vMotion challenge? It was kind of an alternative to, you know, network-based OTV, you know, extending layer twos. Um, and then there was sort of some buzz, and then it kind of went away, and some some of the hardware vendors, like, like Arista, for example, you know, kind of said, hey, we do VXLAN termination, and then you can come off in VXLAN. But it doesn't feel like people are talking about those as much anymore. I mean, I know Cisco made some announcements where they said, well, we do VXLAN without multicast, and so it should be simpler. But is is VXLAN or NVGRE or any of those overlays that aren't kind of controller-based, are those still viable? Are people still talking about those? Or, or did they just kind of become less noise and, and they're kind of in reality? Okay, so is anyone talking about HTTP or TCP today? No. You see... Okay, it's just become part of what we do. Yeah, well, these are different uh, ways of putting Ethernet Ethernet frames on the wire. Which bit goes where, how how long the header is, that's boring stuff. Who cares about that? Okay. Okay. So now you you even have the products that use, for example, uh, VXLAN internally Mm. between hypervisors. Because it has some interesting properties, and they use MPLS over GRE when talking to the external devices, which supports that encapsulation. So people have even started to mix the different encapsulations inside a single product. Oh, because okay. it really doesn't matter what the encapsulation is. Okay. Okay. So it, it's become just like the, the typical protocol soup that we see in every network where you've got... Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So the, the, the really important part today is uh, how do you figure out where the VMs are? Okay. okay. So you have some VMs sitting at some hypervisors, and this source hypervisor has to know the IP addresses of the other hypervisors. So how do you figure that out? And Cisco sort of cheated by saying, well, you know, we will not exactly use flooding. We'll use IP multicast, which is better than flooding. Mm-hmm. 
And then everyone else came along saying, well, you know, you can do that if you wish, but we really have control plane because if we have visibility into vCenter or uh, OpenStack or whatever it is, why should we use flooding? Why should the switches learn where everyone is if we know where everyone is? Okay. And this is what Nicira is doing. This is what uh, Microsoft is doing with the new system center. And this is what Cisco will be doing once they actually release what they've been showing since January. Okay. So nobody's, nobody's built – I mean, it used to be back in the day you, you had to create these sort of discovery protocols where endpoints would – you know, multicast flood, whatever they did, they'd sort of tell the world, hey, here's, here's where I am, um, you know, went all the way back to the, to the Novell days when services would announce what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, you've, the, the, the control point, like you said, vCenter, OpenStack, uh, System Center, it knows where the hypervisors are and to a certain extent should know where the VMs are. And then people are just querying those things via API to figure out where they are. They can then go down to the switches figure out a Mac, where a Mac is, and, and kind of correlate where things are in the network? Perfect summary. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So so let, so that's kind of the state of what's going on with the buzzwords and, and so forth. You you go out, you're, you talk to a bunch of people that are doing this, you're helping to do designs. I mean, what are you, what are you typically doing in, in your designs in terms of overlays or, or helping people do, you know, availability, like what's been changing in the designs that you've been dealing with, let's say over the last year or so in terms of either what you deploy or what people want to do? Uh, not much. Oh, okay. Uh, so some reality check here. If you want something that runs today Mm -hmm. and if you're not a huge cloud provider, then you would still use VLANs. So if we're talking about, let's say, a private cloud uh, in a reasonably sized data center, a few tens of physical servers, which would translate into, let's say, 50 to 1 virtualization ratio, that would be a few thousand VMs, mm-hmm. uh, you would still use v- VLANs. Okay. Because you could terminate those servers on two or maybe four switches. So why complicate your life? Right, right, right. Uh, the only thing I'm telling people is uh, stop using physical appliances. Okay. Stop yeah, using sense. physical firewalls. Stop using physical load balancers because if you virtualize those and if you glue them together with the whole application stack and package all that, then you can take all that and you move it to a different data center in disaster recovery scenario or you move it to the cloud if you wish. You move it anywhere you wish. Okay. You're yeah. totally portable. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And you can you can then start using a bunch of the fairly mature automation tools to, to help you exactly. do that, whether it's yeah. Site Recovery Manager or Chef or Puppet or now whatever have you, yeah. Yeah, whatever yeah, whatever you're familiar with. Now talk a little bit about this because you, you, you live I mean you're talking to a lot of the guys that, that are doing networking, have been doing networking for a long time. What's the what what's your sense of you know, there's there's all this talk about well you can now script things. You now have APIs. People should be learning Python or whatever language. Like, where? How quickly is that happening? I mean, like, how? You know, in the past, yeah, people wrote scripts, but they were, you know, they were Bash scripts or maybe they were Python. There wasn't a whole lot of network programmers. All of a sudden, people have this, this, uh, you know, I, I almost want to say like it's a misguided notion that all of a sudden these network guys are going to become 
programmers, I mean, is it, it's really kind of advanced scripting, isn't it? Or like, what is the yes. state of people dealing with non-CLI stuff? Uh, so the, the first thing you have to ask is, uh, where do you want to go? Yeah. Because if you go down the overlay networking route, then all you need from your switches is simple IP routing. So okay. there is nothing to program there. Right. You deploy the switches, you connect the servers to the switches, you configure an IP subnet and OSPF on the switch, and you do it once. And then hopefully you don't touch that switch until it dies. Okay. That's how overlay networking simplifies the data center switching, for example. And this is why the networking vendors hate it. <laughs> right. It's <laughs> yeah, like a uh, example again, yeah. Yeah. Uh, or, of course, if you want to deal with VLANs, then there's all sorts of things you can program on the switches, and the networking vendors love you. Yep. So you could program VLANs on the on the edge ports. You can program access control lists on particular VLANs and so on. So there's lots of stuff to play with. And if you want to go down that route, then yes, absolutely, you should start learning some programming skills. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, and, but, but there, you know, you have to be careful because... Uh, if, if you are on your own writing some scripts and they even work, uh, do you really want to use them in the middle of the night when you're away on vacation? Right. Yeah, you, you start getting into, you know, if you get hit by a bus, there's a lot of people yeah. who are in trouble, right? right. Exactly. So uh, there's a very long path between where we are right now, everyone talking about programming, and the stage where, uh, let's say, network programming becomes a serious production Red thing like application programming. Right. We just don't have the processes, procedures, things like that. Yeah, well, we don't know them. Yeah, and 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 in reality, I think you know, um, I mean, networks change in that you're adding capacity from time to time. You know, we're we're sort of past the days when it was like, you know, bringing in VPNs was a big deal or remote office. I mean, we're basically wired everywhere for everything. It feels like the major events where you'd have a big change is, yes, you, you add capacity, you have a disaster where you lose a, a big chunk of something and you've got to move it. Um, but, but networking in general isn't as dynamic in terms of, of change and so forth as like servers where it's like, hey, I may spin up you know, two or three new projects, which you know, from a server perspective or a storage perspective is a whole lot of change, a whole lot of things. Um, I mean, is that is that still pretty true? I mean, the network. I mean, the network changes. It has some dynamicness, you know, with the protocols. But it's not, it's not this, you know, heavily changing thing like servers and storage tend to be. Well, also, I I would disagree about storage being dynamic. No, no, yeah, no, it's not. It's not. Yeah. I mean, uh, if, if you take a look at what's going on, uh, you configure this huge LAN, and then you run VMware file system on it, and all that happens is there are new files created. Yeah, that's true. That's not storage. Yeah, that's yeah, that's just capacity. Yeah. Yeah. You're just throwing stuff in, a, in the closet, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you pre-configure the closet, and then you throw stuff in until it's full. And the same with network. You pre-configure the plumbing, and you hope you never see the plumbing again. Okay. <clears throat> if yeah, you do, sense. you have a problem. Right, 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 right. Well, and, and you deal with it like you deal with your closet. You, you you open the door, and then you sift through it, and you know you wish you had an yeah. extra closet in the house, right? Exactly. Right. right. <laughs> Talk about now. You know, there's a couple of other kind of things that they get talked about a lot in networking these days, but I'm not sure how viable they are. So one of them is 
around the OpenStack world. So, you know, uh, my audience, I think, is pretty well versed in, in, in OpenStack. People talk about quantum as if it does some magical thing. But quantum, I mean, quantum really is just, you know, create VLANs, assign IP addresses. Um, yes, it could talk to, say, Nicira's controller. It's got an AP. But, I mean, quantum isn't doing anything that, that traditional networking doesn't already do today, correct? It's just a programmatic well, uh, way to define it? Yeah, quantum is, let's say, an abstraction layer. Okay. It's an abstraction layer that allows you to create uh, uh, virtual segments, virtual subnets, let's call, let's call them virtual subnets. Yep. Uh, and, of course, someone will, will tell me I'm using totally wrong terminology and I don't care. And then you assign IP addresses from those virtual subnets to individual VMs, and you have a router node which links together those virtual subnets, and I think now they have Load Balancer as a service, right. which has one outside IP address and distributes that between the VMs on the inside. Now, how you implement that is a totally different story, and that's where the quantum plug-in comes in. So you could implement this as VLANs, and if you want to implement this as VLANs, then you can use either the traditional Linux bridge plugin, which is supplied with Quantum Distro, or you can use the OpenVSwitch plugin, which where OpenVSwitch is just a replacement for the standard Linux bridge. Mm -hmm. Yet again, comes with the distro, and it's also VLAN-based. And then you can have all sorts of different plugs, plugins from different vendors. So, for example, Cisco has a plugin, and what they do is they actually create uh, physical NICs out of the uh, Palo chipset on their NIC. Mm -hmm. uh, not, I, I don't think it's exactly single root IO virtualization, but close. And then the VM VIFs would be mapped into those physical NICs. So one NIC goes to one VM. Okay. okay. Yep. And so a VM would be sort of connected straight to the first top of rack switch. Okay. I think Cisco calls this VMFX. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And, and so and, and, yeah, for anybody who's and, not familiar, Palo is the the sort of technology Cisco uses on their NIC cards within the UCS. Yeah. It allows them to map a VM to a virtual port. Well, Palo allows you to clone the same physical hardware, the same Ethernet NIC, into like 50 Ethernet NICs that all look like physical Ethernet NICs. Right, 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 right. Okay, got it. Okay. Uh, so, that, so that's Cisco's idea. And yet again, you know, their plugin implements the virtual networking with VMFX and TopofRex, which is doing VLANs. And it looks to quantum like you can create virtual segments. You don't care how they got instantiated. Gotcha. And then NEC has their OpenFlow controller, and their OpenFlow controller um, works with OpenVSwitch, but it programs that through OpenFlow. And when they talk to Quantum, they collect the data from Quantum saying, I need this virtual subnet here and this IP address there on the VMs and so on. And they program the open vSwitches through OpenFlow like they would in their traditional virtual tenant networking solution. Yeah. Okay. So Quantum is just an abstraction layer. Okay. So, yeah, and like you said, there's there's beyond the the abstraction people are doing slightly different things um whether they're yeah you can use any technology you wish underneath okay. the quantum abstraction gotcha. layer as the quantum plugin okay okay and and the i mean it sounds like the the plugin framework is sort of similar to what 
you know, vCenter did years ago where it was like, you know, plug-in framework for storage, plug-in framework for backup, plug-in framework for, for other, you know, it allowed multiple vendors to basically have a, a similar sort of look into the system, but what they ended up doing under the covers was, was completely up to them. Yeah. Okay. So let's put it this way. Uh, from vCenter perspective, uh, quantum plugin allows you to create port groups. Okay. And connect uh, VMs to port groups. How those port groups work, that's the job of the quantum plugin. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. Absolutely. So that makes sense. That makes sense. Now, let's let's kind of hit on one other thing, and, and this is something I'm, I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around. So there's there there kind of feels like there's a divide between <clears throat> the super super large data centers the the google size ones and 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 you know, facebook or twitter which is is um you know in essence they're giant factories you know they're just giant bit factories um people tend to want to reference them most people have no idea what really goes on inside of those things cuz they've never seen inside of them they've only read about them uh, but you hear about these, you know, super giant companies who are like, I'm building my own switches, I'm building my own software, I'm doing my own thing. And then people want to kind of correlate that to what's happening in the rest of the market. And they're going, well, you're going to want to build like Facebook, you're going to want to build like Google, you're going to want to use commodity this. Like how much you, you deal a lot with, you know, either medium-sized service providers, enterprises, sort of everything outside of that. Do you see anybody... Uh, in the world that you deal with that's that's dealing with sort of these what you'd consider commodity hardware or people writing their own networking stacks to run on this or or is that no. really super like a super niche for those web guys it, it, it's super niche okay so for, 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 for example uh, Google made a big show sometime last year how they deployed openflow in their network mm-hmm. and when you go and actually start looking into what they did they decided to become a uh, router manufacturer right they wrote their own router operating system yep will they open source it I doubt it's their competitive advantage yep but you know they sort of decided we want to be like, let's say, Arista, one of the smaller companies. Mm-hmm. And so they had to invest approximately as much money. Right, right. Does it make sense? Well, it makes sense to them. Does it make sense to me? No, it doesn't. Right, right. Yeah, and that's, that, that's the, you know, it's one of those things within our industry that's become sort of weird is everybody goes, well, you should, you should operate like those guys. And, and for one, I don't think most people understand how those guys operate. And number two, like you said, they make so much money, and, and in essence, it runs their business, right? It's their competitive differentiator. Most people can't emulate that. They can't afford as many engineers. They can't afford the quality of engineers. And for most people, it wouldn't give them any sort of advantage any more so than they could get out of an Arista or a Cisco or a you know big switch or somebody else. Um, okay. So that's, yeah. yeah. Plus, you have to ask yourself, what's your core business? Yeah. Yeah, if you make tractors, networking isn't your business. If you're in manufacturing exactly. pharmaceuticals, networking is not your business, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Google running a, a massive, highly available network, that is pretty core That's to your business. That's their business. Yep, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, um, and the other analogy, you know, if you're building a Ford Focus or whatever is popular these days, uh-huh. you don't look at the guy building a space shuttle. Yeah, exactly. 
yeah, different different characteristics. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't work <laughs> exactly. What's um, so so? This has been this has been good. Uh, you know, there's times when um, you know I think uh, people like a, a sense of reality because there is there is a lot of buzz. What la, la, I guess sort of last thing. What's what's your take on 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 what's going on around uh, this this open daylight sort of consortium thing? Um, you know, it felt like eh, it, it had some pandering and marketing to it, but then Big Switch did some stuff that kind of, you know, made people think about it. I mean, what's, what's, what's your take on the controller market in general? I mean, there's some people that are doing commercial stuff. There tends to be this open source thing. Where do you think the, the sort of controller-based world goes in the next couple of years? Uh, no idea. Okay. Honestly. I mean, uh, you know, when the rumors about open daylight started coming out, I wrote a blog post saying, well, is this the Internet Explorer or is this the Linux of the controllers? Mm-hmm. So in, in both cases, you know, is the free software to kill the uh, commercial competitors. Yeah. Yeah. So no, big switch, yeah. Big switch has a big problem. Yeah. It, it tends to look that way. Um, I mean, you never know. You never know where people will end up. But I mean, you have to imagine they're looking for a big payday like like Nicira was. Um, and yeah, yeah. Now they have the challenge of, you know, basically, uh, how are you going to monetize what they did? Have yeah. you, have you, from a technology perspective, have you had any chance to to work with one set of controllers versus another one? I mean, are you seeing? Um, you know, like what what level of maturity are those things at? Whether it's a Nicira or a Big Switch or Cisco's uh, or any of the other ones. Um, haven't seen anything from Cisco running. Any mm-hmm. see uh, their programmable flow controller. It's uh, been around for a while. Uh, it's running in live networks, so that one is production grade. Okay. Uh, Nicira, I think, is also production grade. They claim they have pretty large deployments. They published some scalability figures uh, a few days ago where uh, it's, it looks like they're actually running a five-node uh, controller cluster controlling something like 12,000 hosts. Oh, okay. So that's impressive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, haven't heard anything about uh, real-life deployments of anyone else. Okay. And that sounds about right. Um you know, those seem to be the ones that keep making progress. Uh, but yeah, I think for a lot of people, it's how real is it? I've, I mean, I've seen some people lately who have been kicking the tires with uh, Cisco One or been kicking the tires with sort of the the floodlight code and stuff. But it feels like it is very much just kind of kicking the tires beyond you know the couple that you laid out. So good, yeah. good, good. Um, well, listen, uh, this has been this has been as as always a great conversation. I tried to keep it sort of open ended, and we could just kind of see where things would go. Um, so thank you very much for the time. Where um, you're you know you're obviously you're over in Europe. Um, where are you going to be around? Where can people bump into you above and beyond what goes on 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 uh, iOS hints and, and all the things that you're that you're do from a publishing perspective. Oh, virtually always on Twitter. If anyone sends a tweet to at iOS hints, I always respond. Uh, in real life, I'll be in Silicon Valley, hopefully, beginning of, of September. Uh, and then I have a few conferences around Europe. Uh, and by the way, it's all on my website. Okay. So, ipspace.net slash presentations. 
and there they can find all the conferences and everything I will be attending in the next uh, almost a year. Okay, fantastic. Well, listen, uh, Ivan, uh, thanks again for, for always jumping on. Hopefully we can get you back on more frequently. I know everybody Well, absolutely. Um, so, very good. Um, for everybody who's out there, uh, if you like the show, please tell a friend. Uh, we continue to grow. We're having a lot of fun with it. Uh, if you get a chance to listen to the mobile show that we're doing called The Mobile Cast, Brian Katz is doing an excellent job on that one. Um, as always, well, That's a fantastic can... one. Good. Good. I'm glad you like it. We're trying to kind of broaden out. We may try to, we've been wanting to do a European one for a long time, and uh, we, we may have to find some folks because I think we want to get a non-U.S. centric view of things um, at some point. So, um, folks, if you like it, tell a friend. Uh, you can find everything about the show on uh, the Cloudcast Net. Thanks again to Ivan. Uh, Aaron will be back next week, and everybody have a great weekend. 